Welcome to Unity of Tucson. Last week, I talked about the field, the field of unlimited potential, the field of unlimited possibility, the quantum field of all possibility and that that is a way that we can describe and understand the way we teach God here at Unity of Tucson and in the New Thought Movement, that there is no being out there, that God is the beingness of all that is, and that we can recognize and we can teach it as a field of potential possibility. The enlightened of every age, Ernest Holmes offers us, have taught that back of all things there is one unseen cause. This teaching of unity is the chief cornerstone of all sacred scriptures. There is one unseen cause, and it is so much bigger than we can put our minds around in terms of understanding. I want to ask you a question for consideration, rhetorical. <laughs> Where do you seek God? I just want you to think about it. Where do you seek God? In your meditation this morning, you invited us all to consider visualizing a journey off of this planet, beyond the solar system, beyond the galaxy, to really look at the vastness of this universe. And I read recently, well, I saw a head, I didn't read the article, I'll admit. I saw a headline recently, don't you hate that? I saw a headline. Um, but these are the kinds of things that end up in my algorithm on uh, social media. I saw a headline recently that said that Astronomers and physicists are now saying that the universe is probably twice as old as we ever thought it was. That they, 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 for a long time, it's been 13.7 billion years old. Now they're saying it's over 26 billion years old. And so there's so much more to be known. There's so much more to understand. There's so much. It is beyond the comprehension of our limited thinking. So as we go on this journey of exploring the universal, wow, for me to understand it from the point of view of this month's theme of awe. That's where I can seek and find God because there's no aspect of it that is not God. Conversely, if I were to turn and look within, Sherry did that. Where do you seek God? She went right there. I can explore the depths of my beingness down to the very subatomic particles in their expression and even beyond that, to the energy, the very energy that makes up the beingness that shows up as me. And that's God as well. For there is no thing that is not God. Now, the Sufi mystic Bastami said this, the knowledge of God cannot be attained by seeking, but only those who seek it find it. So it can't be attained by seeking, but only those who seek it find it. Well, there's a paradox, if ever there was one. (laughs) 
So looking outwardly, what do we find? Looking inwardly, what do we find? No matter where we look and the way, the manner in which we look, I believe, this is my belief, you get to decide what you believe. I believe that no matter which direction we look, we are finding God always. And it is a decision to recognize it as such. It is a decision to recognize the all that is as God because we can look to many things that would seem to contradict that idea. In 1980, there was a television program on PBS that I think became a cornerstone for me. It planted a seed for me as a seeker, uh, hosted by a man named Carl Sagan, and the show was called Cosmos. That was such a seed for me of like exploring the world with awe. And most of you who know my age will know that in 1980, I was seven years old. Talk about the opportunity to expand my thinking. Carl Sagan became someone whom I admired so, so deeply. I had the benefit when I was going through my studies to get my Doctorate of Consciousness Studies. Um, one of the books we read was by Carl Sagan's daughter, Sasha, and she ended up being a guest lecturer in one of our classes one night. And like, oh my God, I felt like, ah, I'm one degree of separation away from Carl Sagan now. <clears throat> but yeah, I know, I was really starstruck. Very few times in my life have I truly been starstruck, but that was one of them. So, so, and that has nothing to do with what I really want to say today. It's just that I wanted to name drop. So anyway... <laughs> So anyway, I became completely infatuated with this idea of the universe, and I became, you know, an amateur astronomer. I got a, I got a telescope when I was a kid, and, you know, if you come into my office, there's a telescope in my office that uh, I haven't dusted off for a little while, but we keep talking about having a night where we all come out, turn off the lights, and put the telescope up and look at it. So anyway, um, one of the things that Carl Sagan did uh, years after Cosmos and my introduction to him was uh, he had this... Uh, opportunity to invite us into a deeper understanding. So on February 14th, 1990, rather than looking out or looking within, astronomers did a different thing. We took a deeper look at our nature than ever before in a very different way. And that was when Voyager 1 turned the camera around and looked back at us. Can you bring up the slide? It's hard to see. Oh, go back. Go back, go back, go back, go back. It's hard to see. Right there, that little blue dot, that pale blue dot, that's Earth. From 16 billion kilometers away, billion kilometers away. That was my Carl Sagan impression. <laughs> billions and billions of kilometers. See, people know. What do you see there? Just consider that for a moment. What do you see there? Go ahead and go forward. This is what Carl Sagan saw there. From this distant vantage point, the Earth might not seem of any particular interest. But for us, it's different. Consider again that dot. That's here. That's home. That's us. On it, everyone you love, everyone you know, everyone you ever heard of, every human being who ever was, lived out their lives. The aggregate of our joy and suffering, 
thousands of confident religions, ideologies, and economic doctrines. Every hunter and forager, every hero and coward, every creator and destroyer of civilization, every king and peasant, every young couple in love, every mother and father, hopeful child, inventor and explorer, every teacher of morals, every corrupt politician, every superstar, every supreme leader, every saint and sinner in the history of our species lived there on a mote of dust suspended in a sunbeam. The earth is a very small stage in a vast cosmic arena. Think of the rivers of blood spilled by all those generals and emperors so that in glory and triumph they could become the momentary masters of a fraction of a dot. Think of the endless cruelties visited by the inhabitants of one corner of this pixel on the scarcely distinguishable inhabitants of some other corner. How frequent their misunderstandings. How eager they are to kill one another. How fervent their hatreds. Our posturings, our imagined self-importance, the delusion that we have some privileged position in the universe are challenged by this point of pale light. The earth is the only world known so far to harbor life. There is nowhere else, at least in the near future, to which our species could migrate. Visit? Yes. Settle? Not yet. Like it or not, for the moment, the earth is where we make our stand. There is perhaps no better demonstration of the folly of human conceits than this distant image of our tiny world. To me, it underscores our responsibility to deal more kindly with one another and to preserve and cherish the pale blue dot, the only home we've ever known. Consider that for a moment. Because there are two ways we could understand that. We could look at that dot, that pale blue dot, and think of ourselves as less than in, in comparison to the breadth of the universe. Or we could decide that we are an integral part of the whole. The whole does not exist without us, without you. The whole would be lacking without you. And you, the core of who you are, is infinite in nature and scope. That's how I understand you. How do you understand yourself? Do you understand yourself as limited or an integral, infinite part of the whole. If you take to heart the way I see you, that the universe could not exist without you, if you took that to heart, 
What would you do with that information now? How would you choose to live your life moving forward? There's a common question in religious circles, in spiritual circles, particularly in those that have a definition of God. Many people approach religion and spiritual paths with this question. Why is there suffering in the world? Some will ask it in this manner. If God is all good, have you ever heard that? If God is all good, why does God allow suffering? I have come to believe in my own heart that there is only one sufficient answer to that question. And the answer is in another question. Why do we allow suffering? Why do we allow suffering in this thing called life? In this experience on this pale blue dot, why do we allow it? Every single person in this room, every single person that we're connected with online, every single person you encounter is a person of power who can eliminate suffering on this pale blue dot in a magnificent way if we all decided that that was what we wanted to do. There is no need for suffering. There is no need for suffering. We are conditioned to think of ourselves as small, as meek. We are conditioned in this fashion. And we go on this journey of finding ourselves, which is what brings a lot of people to these rooms, trying to find ourselves, right? Here's the thing. We cannot be found, for we were never lost. We were simply buried under erroneous beliefs. So rather than finding ourselves, why don't we take a step back and simply look back at ourselves? It's very serious today. If we take a step back in that space, like the 16 billion kilometers, billion kilometers between Voyager and where Voyager started its journey, We fill that space with stories of challenge, of fear, of problems, and we are told to uphold those things as ideals in our lives because it is through suffering that we find ourselves. It is through suffering that we gain sympathy from our fellow individuals in this thing called life. And boy, doesn't that feel good when somebody sympathizes with the ills that we're going through. It feels good, right? We're kind of addicted to it. I'm inviting us all to go into a program to let that addiction go. I think we could decide to consider that distance through the lens of wonder, through the lens of awe. If we look at life through the lens of wonder, what do we see? What do we see? You who gather here... I would think, I imagine, this is my assumption, we know about assumptions, but this is my assumption, you who gather here, you who are connected to this community and watching and engage with this community, I would imagine you're all seekers. For I think that you are a reflection of something in me, and I am a seeker. What is it? 
we seek. What is it we seek? Spirituality as an escape from a life of suffering. Some of us come to that, looking at spirituality and spiritual practice as an opportunity to escape the life of suffering. The thing that sometimes happens with that, though, is that we come into these rooms and we hear these really nice messages and we get these affirmations and we take it out into the world and it's like, la, 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 Pollyanna, without the consideration that we have to look at the shadow to be able to shine and cast the light on the shadow. We must cast the light on the shadow. Spirituality, here's the thing about spirituality. Spirituality is inseparable from life. For we are spiritual beings living in a spiritual universe governed by our use of a spiritual law, the law of mind action, the law of cause and effect, the law that says what I think, what I believe, and what I feel, and the way that those things work together are creating the construct of my life. So if I am suffering or I see suffering, there is no one else who is responsible to address that other than me. <laughs> Spirituality is inseparable from life. It is an it is a way of experiencing the truth of this moment and this moment and this moment and this moment with a clear mind and an open heart. Life itself is truth manifest in form. What are you going to do with that information knowing that that's right where we are? That little pixel. There's a theory in quantum physics called quantum entanglement. You know what quantum, does anyone, I mean, I'm not going to ask you to get up here and explain it, but the concept of quantum entanglement is that absent the construct of time, that some action here has an equal action somewhere else in the universe. And it, does not, it is not dependent on the time it takes to get there. It is instantaneous. Because in the infinite, there is no time. We all have the capacity to activate quantum entanglement in a way that sets things aright and eliminates suffering and discord forever. So my message today, my message today is to take to heart that that's where we are, right there. My little laser pointer, right there. And I love that he calls this like in a, in a beam of sunlight. You can kind of see it there, right? This is the actual picture that Voyager took, by the way. I, don't, I didn't just make this up. That's the actual picture that Voyager took in 1990. That's where we are, right there. I encourage you to think of yourselves as universal, great, grand, magnificent. That's why I say every week you are magnificent. Think of yourself in a different way. Live life fully, unabashedly, without fear. Let your definition of your experience now and evermore be described through the lens of awe. Recognize in all that you see as ordinary, there is the miraculous. Peace and blessings. You are magnificent. So the homework this week, 
If you are new to our community, I give homework every week as a way of encouraging a practical application of the principles we teach. So the homework this week is to consider some task that you look at in your life as mundane and apply a sacred frame of mind around that task. I will give you an example. When I was studying to become a minister, we were tasked with a similar idea. And one of the things that I find mundane that I actually really hated until I did this assignment was cleaning the bathroom. (laughs) And I thought to myself, I'm in the place of choice to reframe that for myself and find the sacred in that task. And so I wrote a whole paper about how Cleaning the toilet was a certain aspect of the spiritual practice, and scrubbing the shower was an aspect of spiritual practice. I'm invi- it doesn't have to be the bathroom, but I'm inviting you to find a task in your life, mundane, perhaps it's a task that you don't like, and see it through the new lens of awe to find the sacred in it, create the sacred in the experience. Hi, this is Rev. Jonathan Zenz, and I want to thank you for listening to the podcast of my Sunday message. Your financial support will ensure that we can continue to offer this as an option for inspiration. You can make your tax-deductible contribution in any amount on our website, unitytucson.com. Once again, thank you for listening. You are magnificent. Namaste.